This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong from This Working Life here in lockdown 6.3. We've had so many, we have a numbering convention, so it's lockdown number six and it's the third extension. Now, with the current restrictions, one Zoom call topic of conversation is, can businesses mandate COVID vaccinations for all of their workers? Can you ethically mandate vaccines or is that an oxymoron? And if you are an employer wanting your workers vaccinated or an employee refusing the vax, whose side is the law on? The man with the answers to the tricky, sticky legal aspects is Michael Burns. Michael is an employment law expert with Sydney-based firm Swipe. And to help us understand how to deal with the human side of this is Holly Seal. Holly is an infectious disease social scientist at the University of New South Wales and studies public and professional perceptions and behaviours around immunisation. Welcome to you both. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Can I check? some of the whispers with you, Michael. So I've heard that many organisations here are waiting before introducing mandates because they're buying time to let other companies set precedence. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Is this what you're well, hearing? Why not? Absolutely. Of course. Yes. And in some ways that makes sense because whilst lawyers relish the idea of making law of being the pioneer, putting your head above the parapet. We love the idea of being involved in the test case. Employers just want to run their business. And so much like a, an athlete who travels along in another athlete's slipstream, you know, I think that happens in cycling and swimming and some other sports. Some employers look at what other employers are doing, let them put their head above the parapet, see how it goes for them, let them test the waters and then decide to implement mandatory vaccination. So that is absolutely what employers are doing. Although in recent months, this issue has very much transformed from being a theoretical academic issue to being a real practical issue. Who has already mandated COVID vaccinations for employees here? Well, uh, the first company to put its head above the parapet was SPC. And that really, in some ways led to open the floodgates in terms of mandatory vaccination. So a number of companies have now mandated vaccination, SPC, the airlines, Qantas and Virgin, some government departments are looking to do it. And also in a de facto way, the New South Wales government in its public health orders has mandated vaccination by requiring workers who are in particular areas of concern to be vaccinated in order to perform their work. And who does the public health order cover in New South Wales? Uh, it covers aged care workers, healthcare workers. Um, I think now education workers are going to be covered by a requirement to be vaccinated. And also what are described as authorised workers in areas of concern. Michael, what's been the reaction of unions? Different unions are taking different positions on mandatory vaccination. Some are supporting the notion of mandatory vaccination, although usually with the rider or qualifier, that there should be consultation with the workforce and there should be procedural fairness in the way that it is implemented. Other unions have taken a different approach and they've expressed disquiet about the idea of mandatory vaccination. They certainly support the notion of encouraging vaccination or supporting vaccination, but they draw the line at mandating vaccination. And Holly, what is the downside of mandating vaccines in your view? In the past, we have seen from research that mandates can 
cause, uh, you know, tension, of course, between companies and staff. And that tension can be from feeling that their voice hasn't been heard or that they really haven't had the opportunity to access vaccines or, or receive information about the vaccines before a mandate comes in. And so that is where in years past, we have seen unions actually take organisations to, to court to try and repel mandates. And this was certainly seen internationally in the US and in Canada with the influenza vaccine mandates for healthcare workers, where actually there was success in repelling mandates at the time. And so we've certainly learned a lot of lessons from that previous situation where, as Michael said, before we move forward with a mandate, it is critical that the organisations spend time talking to their employees, understanding the, the needs of the employees. You know, have you got, you know, staff on your books who are all under the age of 40 who have to date struggled to find a vaccine appointment? Well, if that's the case, then the mandate's not what you need. You need to, to work to, to support those staff members to find opportunities to get vaccinated, to support them in their understanding about why to, to go and get vaccinated before you even consider going down the track of mandates. So do employers legally have to consult with their staff and their respective unions before making a major change such as this? In some cases, yes, the enterprise agreement will will require them to do that. And also there can be circumstances where there'll be uh, obligations under state work, health and safety legislation to do that as well. So as a general proposition, it is important for employers to consider whether or not there is that obligation to consult. It won't always apply, but it will it will often apply. And to pick up on some of Holly's points, the law in some ways integrates or considers some of those ethical issues. For instance, a mandate to be vaccinated is unlikely to be held to be reasonable in circumstances where the employer hasn't taken other active control measures to address the risk of COVID infection and transmission. So for instance, uh, enforcing social distancing, uh, good hygiene practices, good cleaning practices, screens and the like, those sorts of things are also going to be important. It's not just a matter of treating vaccination as powerful and as, as effective as it can be as the silver bullet if an employer is not adopting other measures. In terms of the flu vaccination, and and Holly referred to cases in Canada and other jurisdictions to date, the Fair Work Commission in in some recent cases has actually been very supportive of employers in that regard and has has upheld the right of employers to mandate flu vaccination. There haven't as yet been any COVID-19 vaccination cases. And I think one of the important things to consider that is from research that I've done and, and others is that part of that process of bringing in those mandates in those settings, the health organisations spent a lot of time talking to unions and spent a lot of time bringing together committees of representatives, including staff, to really 
make sure that, you know, as part of designing and developing the mandates, a, a range of, of elements and factors were considered as part of that. And it is pleasing to hear that uh, Qantas and, and, and other organisations, you know, appear to be doing some sort of consultation. Um, you know, I think Qantas did a survey with staff. Uh, but, you know, I've recently heard from a colleague in a, in a US university, um, you know, talk about the fact that, you know, when they their university was considering whether or not to mandate, and this has actually been quite common now in the US with, with universities over there, um, that they were doing monthly consultations. You know, it's not just, you know, we consult once, all right, tick box, done, let's move on, but actually having ongoing conversations with, with those who are impacted by mandates. And this may be that, you know, we consider the mandate as a short-term strategy. So it's about, you know, making sure that we get back into workplaces or into into the settings that you're we're aiming to get to, look at introducing all of those other strategies, possibly a mandate, but actually continue to evaluate whether or not it still needs to be um, in place. And we may find that it's, you know, we need it for six months, we need to, to, to ensure everyone's vaccinated, and then we can pull back in that space. And Lisa, one of the important things is we're speaking a lot about, uh, you know, vaccine mandates in terms of, you know, who's impacted by those mandates. So the employee and, and the employer, but there's also in all of these spaces then someone within the company who's going to have to be required to to follow up and to check and to police and to I don't want to use the word dob in, but it literally is dob in people who are not compliant. And, you know, I certainly, um, you know, have spoken to, to the people who's, you know, who've had to, to take on that role in the past. And that is very challenging. And again, it comes with potential for, for bad blood and for breakdowns in, in relationships. Holly makes a very good point, which is just because an employer can potentially legally take a step it doesn't necessarily mean that they should. It doesn't necessarily mean that from a cultural perspective, from an employment relations or industrial relations perspective, it is the best course to take. And we've perhaps become very recently a little bit glib, perhaps, about mandatory vaccination because of the uh, the power and the efficacy of the vaccines and the situation, the predicament in which we find ourselves. Um, Perhaps the, the impact of mandatory vaccination is underestimated. It's very much analogous in some ways to uh, mandatory drug testing. We don't, we don't drug test every employee in every setting. That's something that is done sparingly. And so it, it's the same with mandatory vaccination. It's not necessarily the case that it, it either can or should be enforced in every setting. Is there a better way to do it, Holly? <laughs> uh, look, certainly, you know, there are steps that need to be taken before we get to that mandate. Um, and, you know, again, looking at, you know, past history of mandates in other settings, certainly, you know, you can see that there's been a long lead in time before a mandate is considered. And it goes back to all of those other elements we're talking about, you know, talking to staff, actually understanding what are the current barriers around immunisation? Is it uh, the, the kind of more social behaviour? 
behavioural factors? Do they have concerns around, you know, the safety of the vaccines? Do they have misunderstandings around the effectiveness or impact of getting a vaccine? We need to make sure that there is absolutely no issue around accessing a vaccine. So if the staff member hasn't been able to to go to a pop-up clinic or be able to register for a mass vaccine clinic or get to their own GP, is it then we need to offer workplace immunisation? Workplace immunisation in the past has worked really, really well with other things like flu. So, you know, let's see whether we need to consider it here now for COVID. One area in which the legal and ethical issues may well be drawn together is in the unfair dismissal jurisdiction of the Fair Work Commission where you have a situation where an employee's employment is terminated because they have refused to be vaccinated. And the Fair Work Commission will consider in those circumstances, not just whether there is a valid reason for termination, that is whether or not the mandate itself was lawful and reasonable, but also the circumstances in which that direction was given, whether the employee was given an opportunity to be heard in relation to whether or not they should be vaccinated, should be required to be vaccinated, uh, whether, for instance, there is vaccine available. And so Holly's referred to circumstances where employees are put in this invidious position of being directed to have uh, vaccine and then not not necessarily having access to, to vaccine. Uh, in those circumstances, they're the sorts of things that the Fair Work Commission will look at. And it may well be that even though the employer has a right to mandate vaccination, um, the dismissal or termination of employment arising from a refusal by an employee to be vaccinated might be considered to be uh, unfair. And Holly... Yep. Sorry, yeah. Lisa. I was just going to say there's a, just a couple of key points with that. Seeing the kind of sentiment in the newspapers coming out from different spokespersons to say, oh, but we'll have a, a mass walkout if mandates are introduced, that staff members will come off the jobs because they won't agree with it. And, and there may be some staff members who are not willing to go down that path and get vaccinated. But, you know, certainly in the past, we've never seen mass walkouts um, associated with vaccines mandates. And so, you know, I think we need to be very careful with this kind of sentiments and make sure that we actually have some evidence to support this, you know, in terms of what staff members may or may not be willing to comply with a, with a mandate. But the other part of this that's important to note is you know, with the introduction of any mandates, it's really critical that we consider then the exemptions. And so this is where it's important that the government also is is part of this conversation um, and, and assists with this to make sure that there is consistency and fairness across individual organisations mandating vaccination is where, you know, what type of exemptions we're going to allow. In your thoughts, Michael? One aspect of that that is going to be very important are the medical exemptions. And so employers will absolutely need to take account of those who have medical contraindications and who are not able to be vaccinated. And that's something the law is is clear on that. But the law has also been clear in recent cases on a, on a couple of propositions. One is that employees with medical contraindications will need to produce uh, cogent medical evidence to support those. So simply asserting a medical contraindication without the appropriate supporting medical evidence is unlikely 
to uh, to enable an employee to not be vaccinated in circumstances where it uh, where the law would say that it is otherwise uh, necessary for them to do so. In terms of philosophical objections, I think it is likely, and indeed the Fair Work Commission in its flu vaccination cases has considered uh, philosophical objections to some extent. I think it is very likely that the courts and tribunals are going to give purely philosophical or ideological objections to vaccination extremely short shrift. I don't think the courts are really going to give much currency or weight to the idea of someone simply being opposed to vaccination, either broadly um, or because they have some particular philosophical objection to the COVID-19 vaccines that have been developed. I think the courts and tribunals are going to give that very short shrift and people who are relying upon those sorts of arguments and they cite all sorts of legal and quasi-legal principles like the Constitution, Nuremberg Code and uh, Magna Carta and all of that kind of thing. I think all of that is going to be given very, very short shrift, those sort of sovereign citizen type arguments. In terms of religious discrimination, perhaps where it is a fundamental tenet of the religion that you can't have foreign substances injected into the body. But I think, again, that some of that has been overstated and ultimately is unlikely to have much legal impact on mandatory vaccination. But nevertheless, as I mentioned earlier, in an unfair dismissal context, it will be important for employers to give employees an opportunity to express whatever particular objection they have to mandatory vaccination, whether or not it has merit or otherwise, and then consider that objection in terms of the way they deal with the employee, in particular, if termination of employment is a possibility arising from the, the failure to be vaccinated in defiance of a direction or in contravention of a direction to be vaccinated. Michael, I've got some quick-fire legal questions for you. Are you ready in the hot seat? I am, Lisa, yes. Fire away. Can workplaces require current or prospective staff to provide evidence of vaccination? Uh, the answer to that is if there is a mandatory vaccination plan in place or scheme in place, then yes, or if there are other health imperatives that require the employer to know how many, what percentage of its staff are vaccinated, then as a broad proposition, yes. Will it be legal for businesses, say a restaurant, to ask patrons to show proof of vaccination like a vaccine passport or refuse entry if they don't have one? As a general proposition, yes, it will be. There'll be very few circumstances where that won't be permissible. One possible circumstance is for those who are unable for medical reasons to be vaccinated, that could be disability discrimination. But as a general proposition, yes, they'll be able to do that. And in fact, their right to do that will probably be even greater than it is for employers to mandate vaccination for their employees or staff. Here's another tricky area. Say there isn't a public health order a company mandates vaccination and the employee has a fatal adverse reaction to the vaccine. Where do they stand legally? Well, there's the government has recently announced an indemnity scheme in respect of situations of that kind, but there could potentially be some risk theoretically for employers in that regard. I think ultimately it's highly unlikely that that risk would become manifest for an employer, uh, but the government has announced an indemnity scheme in order to address circumstances 
of that kind. Do you know how big that indemnity scheme is? Do you know how far behind Australia is in terms of not having a scheme like that in place? And certainly that is something, you know, that has been advocated for for many, many years. And as part of the process of introducing mandates, you know, we needed to have this scheme in place. So it is a great win and hopefully the government will continue to have it for other vaccines in in time to come. And, And certainly I think there'll be behind the scenes pressure to try and make sure that that is going to be the case. But other countries have had these indemnity schemes in play since the 1960s. Australia is actually one of the last kind of high resource setting type countries to actually introduce this kind of scheme. So good on the government. We finally got there in terms of this, but you know, you should have seen the the kind of cheers that were happening in the in the immunization sector when we heard about this coming out. There was a lot of uh, champagne corks going off because we we're really pleased to see it come in. Well, I think th- I think those celebrations were probably even greater in the business sector and among employers because that was an area of some doubt and concern for employers. So that certainly provides employers some level of welcomed comfort. Now, Michael, this sounds very complicated. And if I'm a business owner, how do I know whether or not I can make vaccination mandatory without exposing (laughs) myself to the risk of being taken to court over it? It's, It's not easy, Lisa. And Unfortunately, lawyers, workplace lawyers, we sometimes welcome that grey, that nuance, that complexity, because it keeps us busy, keeps us engaged. But you're right, for employers, it can be a real challenge. And there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. And I know that employers have expressed some frustration on this. Can we mandate vaccination or not? But the reality is that that each employer will need to look at its own individual circumstances, take its own advice and come up with um, a bespoke solution. It may well be that there are some common principles among employers in the way that it is done, but employers are going to need advice in relation to their own particular situation and circumstance. And indeed, there might be differences in cohorts of employees within an organisation. So it may well be that there is a right to mandate vaccination for some groups within an employer's business, but not others. And so that adds to the complexity as well. And this certainly has played out, you know, in the last couple of weeks here in Sydney, is that we assume risk is because you're going to be located in a certain section of a, of a building or because of the work you're doing. But, you know, I think it was only in the last week, we've seen cases of COVID connected to the coffee shop of a major hospital because the staff members or the uh, patient's families or the patients themselves were lining up in the coffee shop as opposed to being within their own ward area or department. And so you could say, but the mandate covered the people within the the hospital individual department, but didn't include then the people at the coffee shop. But it's the coffee shop workers then who are still at risk as well. So that is certainly something that needs to to give some careful consideration about whether or not you stratify your staff about who should be mandating. I do applaud businesses that include everyone within a business because it also then shows that, you know, you are setting a norm and that the norm is that from everyone from the desk-based CEO down to those staff members who have ancillary 
roles are all part of running a business and are equally important in being protected. So I think there's pluses and minuses there. And indeed, at the starting point for any direction will be, is it reasonable and lawful? And in particular, reasonable, these, these things will usually legally turn on whether or not it is reasonable as opposed to lawful. Is it reasonable to mandate vaccination for that particular employee having regard to their position and duties, the work they do and the risk that is inherent in that work? But it may well be the sorts of arguments, Holly, you've just raised will be cited by employers who do take a universal approach, who say there are large numbers of employees who we say, having regard to the precise or specific work they do, we need to mandate vaccination. But then for the others, we need to do it because of the interaction between staff members, or indeed, if only to make it fair for all, to make sure that everybody is in it together, so to speak, and that as an organisation, everybody is subject to the same rules. There's some of that sentimental philosophy with drug testing, where even those who are not necessarily operating heavy machinery or engaging in practices that would necessarily necessarily require uh, drug testing in order to address safety risk are still subject to mandatory drug testing in order to have this uh, you know, in it all together, all in it together philosophy. And so people don't feel, as you've identified, Holly, targeted or, or as part of a, a, a cohort that's been singled out in some way. Thank you both. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you for your company today. And if you want more expert advice around the COVID pandemic, check out another great ABC podcast, Coronacast, with the health reports, Dr Norman Swan and Tegan Taylor. Episodes drop daily and they're about 10 minutes long. It's an excellent way to get your hit of trusted information. This Working Life is produced by Coronacast groupie Maria Tickle. I'm Lisa Leong and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.